ancient city 250 miles north of Moscow and this towering bronze statue of a knight in armour with a pointed Viking-like helmet and shield is of the man traditionally credited with starting it. Rurik is the very important person in our history and former first Russian dynasty. He was the man who united the country so th there were some tribes before him and there was a country after him. He uh, created our state, our Russia. He's not just a ruler, he's kind of a symbol. Rurik of Rus was a Viking chieftain and for centuries schoolchildren here and throughout Russia have learned that he was the founder of what would become the Russian state, invited here by the feuding Slavs of the area to bring authority and order to their land. The only record of those events, and indeed of the whole period, is a history written some time later by a succession of monks known as the Russian Primary Chronicle. No rule of law existed and tribe rose up against tribe. There was discord and they started to fight one against the other. And they said, We will search for a prince who can rule over us and judge us according to the law. So they went across the sea to the Vikings, who were known as the Rus, and said to them, You will find our land great and rich, but there is no order established within it. Come and reign as princes and rule over us. Three brothers were chosen, and the oldest, Rurik of Rus, settled in Novgorod, and from him the Russian land, Rus, received its name. In fact, there's disagreement over the historical details. The chronicles are evocative, poetic, and of questionable accuracy. Rurik may even have been a mythical figure, a composite of the Viking princes who went on to rule the Russian lands. But Russian history is never just about the facts, and throughout this series I'll be looking at how real history intertwines with romanticised history, how the Russians think of their past and of themselves, and how national myths have helped form the Russian identity. Fact or fiction, the invitation to Rurik hints at a craving for strong, centralised power, an iron fist to bring order to an unruly country, which seems to have become ingrained in the Russian psyche. The very word for state, gosudarstva, has different connotations from its English equivalent. It suggests not an impartial representative government run by consent, with guaranteed rights and the rule of law, but something closer to a kingdom, literally a lorddom dependent solely on the whim of its autocratic ruler. And that's a phenomenon we'll encounter again and again in the next 11 centuries of Russian history. Please come up, I will show you this beautiful red, yes. red beautiful red letter. The earliest copies of the Russian chronicles are kept here in the Russian National Library in St. Petersburg. The place has changed little since I first came here as a student 30 years ago, but this is the first time I've been given access to these precious documents, the life's work of usually anonymous monks, one after another down the centuries, who toiled in their silent, candle-lit cells to inscribe the history of their land.
I can see here from the Novgorod Chronicle that the Viking incomers, Varangians as the chronicler calls them, stayed and ruled and intermarried with the Slavs. Rurik's descendants have adopted Russian names. I found Alegs, Igors, Sviatoslavs, but they evidently didn't lose the Viking penchant for military conquest. On Rus's southern border lay the Byzantine Empire, Greek-speaking and Christian, with its capital in Constantinople, today's Istanbul. Here's how the chronicler picks up the story. Two of Rurik's warriors, Ashkald and Deer, requested permission to go to Constantinople with their men. They set their army against the Greeks, and when they arrived in the Bosphorus Strait, the Rus killed many Christians and set siege to Constantinople with a fleet of 200 boats. Well, yes, and you can see from a later section of the manuscript exactly why the Rus acquired such a reputation for great ferocity. Of the prisoners they captured, it says, some they beheaded, some they tortured, some they shot, and still others they drowned in the sea. In a telling remark, it concludes that the Rus inflicted many woes upon the Greeks in the usual manner of their soldiers.